following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. And welcome to a brand new episode of Eat Sleep List, your home for list making here on BICBP-radio.com. I am one of your hosts, Dan Torres. With me is my co-host with the co-most. I liked how you said that last time, so I stole it. Mr. Matt Johnson. Matt, good to see you, buddy. Hello, my friend. Happy List Day. How are you? Happy list day and uh, happy, I can say this to you, happy Steve Austin day to you. We're yes. recording this on 316 right now. Uh, one of the what? most badass and influential wrestlers of all time. What? 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 I said one of the most influential, <laughs> one of my favorite, before we get into our list day, one of my favorite uh, Austin moments ever. Everybody loves the what's, but when he did Piper's Pit at WrestleMania 21, and Piper was playing into it so much when they were doing the what chance, like he would try and switch it up on, like switch their tempos, and the crowd would be catching them in between each time. Oh, and yeah. he he went at one point. He goes, "Try and keep up with me now." And it, it was just, <laughs> it was such a great, great moment uh, between the two of them. But um, we are here through all our technical difficulties to start the show through um, all our sicknesses and things that are passing through Buffalo right now. I am finally testing negative for COVID again. Hey, uh, but we, nice. Oh, yeah, I know, seriously. Um, but we're here together again, even though we're in separate rooms, to make a real fun list tonight uh, that speaks to mine and Matt's characters big time. And it's our top 10 favorite comic book characters. Now, this is not limited to any... Uh, superheroes, villains, side characters. It's a general uh, favorite of ours. And we haven't done a superhero-related episode in a hot minute, so we thought this would be a fun way to get back into it tonight by really highlighting some of our favorite characters from our childhood and so on. And uh, I know you had mentioned that it was kind of hard to make this list, but I I'm really excited to kind of dive into our favorites. Uh, it was it easy or hard for you making this one? I mean, it, there were some challenges. I knew who I wanted at the top. Like, I think that was probably the easiest part was knowing who I wanted at the top. Like, I have a like a top four or five that are just, like, locked in. It's like, but who was everybody else? That's really where I had to do the thinking. But, you know, it, it is always nice to kind of do these these lists. You know, it's, it's it, again, it's a reflection of our personalities. Uh, all of our lists are, but when you get to see who are, like, our comic book favorites are, I think it's a, you know, it's, it, we haven't just generally done that. Right. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's been other ones like I want to do at some point, like, Oh, our top 10 favorite athletes or something or, or, or something, you know, along those lines. Uh, it's always nice to just kind of just put it together and like really be like, Hmm, what, what is my top 10 in that regard? So, um, but yeah, probably I would say the back half of the list was a little tricky. Um, but I again, it was just it, it, this is a really nice reflective one because I got to go look back at my child. This is like me 
looking back through the years, right? Like, what do I like now? What did I like as a kid? Like, what had heavy influence on me as a kid uh, when it came to comic book reading? And it's always it, it's always nice to reflect like that. For sure. And I feel like we're both going to have some really fun ones on this list. So why don't we just get into it? Without further ado, we present to you our top 10 comic book characters. Matt, lead us off with your number 10. All right, I'd be more than happy to. This is the younger, or is it younger or older? I got to double check. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's younger. Yes, yes, younger brother um, of one of my other favorite um, uh, characters who will be featured on this list. This uh, X Man or X, he's part of X Force or, or multiple other groups. He's uh, Alex Summers, aka Havoc who I've always found really, really cool, really, really underrated, underappreciated. I love brother dynamics. You grew up with brothers. I grew up with the brother. And that bond between brothers is really, really special. Uh, You know, I think anybody who's had a really good upbringing alongside a brother understands it. And to see it in comic book form, uh, this is why I personally love Marvel so much is the relatability factor. Um, it was really neat because again, I grew up with a with a with a younger brother. Um, but uh, Havoc was really cool. He was kind of like on the like he kind of flipped between good and bad occasionally. He had a little bit of a dark side to him. But I always loved his costumes. He had some really really neat costumes. I think my favorite one. Uh, is his I think it is X Force one, but I also like the 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 black and white suit that he has with the with the giant ring things hanging out like like on his cowl, super weird. But uh, yeah, Havoc has always been a neat one for me. Is is his abilities got his powers the same exact way that uh you know that Cyclops did in the uh in in the plane crash and uh and. Yeah, has had just a a really interesting run. Actually, uh, I was gifted a couple of years ago by a good friend of the show, Greg. Uh, used to be part of our precinct. He actually found me a Havoc action figure, and uh, one of those really nice Marvel's Legends ones. And it's like mwah, Chef's kiss, beautiful and perfect. So, um, so yeah, Havoc uh, would be my number ten. That's a great one. I have a couple X-Men on my list, but uh, Havoc didn't end up making it. I've always thought that uh, the Summers family in general has always been very interesting to watch. Uh, Like between the kids, the brothers, like the whole family dynamic of everything uh, is always been one of the most interesting parts of X-Men. And yeah, like you said, growing up with brothers, I've always loved those kind of dynamics and why I fell into Batman so much too, because there were so many Robins and they all grew up around each other. Right. Yeah. He's just, he's just one of those characters, man. Like I I think there's going to be a lot of, it might be a lot of characters on this list that surprise you. Um, But I, I really love those like BCD list characters that just don't I feel like don't get enough time to shine there's actually a really cool storyline uh, they did like a mini series run where Cyclops it was just Cyclops and Havoc and it, it was I think it came out in like the late late 90s early 2000s which was it was just cool to see because you know Havoc has been on a bunch of little low issue like not like low issue but um, just just low 
you know, not the big name comic brands, if that makes sense. Mm. And I just, yes, I find that I find that always find those intriguing. Yeah, I do too. It, it, you kind of can find more depth in certain characters like that too. It, it you tend to find in comic books. So I think that's a great leadoff choice for your list. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my number 10 is, I feel like my number one and my number 10 are polar opposites, which is actually hilarious. But number 10, I'm going to kick it off uh, with Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher. Ooh, very I, nice. Man, I've always loved The Punisher so much. There's always been something appealing you know as you know your typical like boy and like growing up as a boy you always love like the action heroes right and he's your comic book action hero he's not afraid to cross that line into depth uh he his story is unbelievable like the backstory his family getting murdered in the park after his special forces tour and just never being able to uh cope with that and reconcile with everything like that the villains are always great jigsaw is an excellent excellent comic book villain um and that brings the best out of punisher a lot of the time uh i love the dynamic of him kind of mercenary for anybody not being necessarily loyal to a lot of people um i always loved when spider-man and him teamed up in comic books because that those would always be some of my favorite issues with him um and honestly, if there wasn't enough to love from the comic books, Johnny Bernthal was a perfect, perfect, perfect Punisher. Even some of the movies before that were fun, right? We had Travolta and things doing the uh, doing the Punisher oh, thing. But yeah. John, yeah, but Johnny Bernthal is now he he's just got to be the standard punisher forever he just brings such a cool light to that character and a great persona to it and i was thrilled to hear last week that disney is uh bringing him back as the punisher in the daredevil series which is excellent i think that's i think you couldn't make a choice better than that um but the punisher just kind of seems to pop up everywhere in the marvel universe and wreak havoc he could be your friend in one issue and the next issue that he's done something to you to that's burned that bridge for a little bit um and i've always thought that was very 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 uh interesting and i thought that even though he's violent he's also been one of the most uh interesting to look at as far as depth and uh personality so my number 10 is frank castle aka the Punisher. Very good. Yeah, I I uh, I really like John Bernthal. I, he he brought like a new, if you can call it that, like a new edge to the Punisher character, which is like wild. I did really really like Ray Stevenson in Punisher War Zone. I thought that was more comic yes. book accurate. Uh, but Bernthal's like pun intended, uh, killing it. In his in his role, like the Punisher show and his his appearance in in the Daredevil series was like, uh, I was like, this is great. It just it fits. Like sometimes it's it's hard to picture like our costumed characters mixing with more real life, like like a Punisher is kind of like uh rea- like more so reality based, and it just blended so well. So, um, glad I'm, I'm very good. I I did not expect it to make him on your uh. I did not expect him to hear about him on your list. So that makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, number nine. 
All right, number nine. This is where I'm going to put. Uh, I'm going to put the Scarlet Witch here. I'm going to put the Scarlet nice. Witch. Uh, another one who she she's really kind of played the backbone. Uh, not the backbone. Like she's never been like one of those prominently featured. Like one, she's up. She's been up there, right? She's been an Avenger. She's been X Men. She's been Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But she, she's. I, I feel like you know Elizabeth Olsen's you know role as her in the MCU has propelled the Scarlet Witch to new heights. She's been so you know again some major storylines, but I feel like it's been more so in recent years. She's always come off like B, like like B tier. You know, eight tiers: your Captain Americas, Hulk's, Thor's, Spider Man's. Uh, Wolverines and Scarlet Witch, I don't think like has ever been portrayed in that light. Uh, be that, but she's definitely one of the more popular female characters and uber, uber powerful. Uh, the ability to distort reality. And I don't, I think she, apparently she has uh, a much bigger future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I'm glad. I think we're only just tapping into what she can do, but I've always liked her relationship with her brother Pietro. Um and the father daughter dynamic with 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 Magneto at first, you know the she was introduced on his side and then found out the kind of person that he was and defected over and tried to do good, uh which they they did you know kind of illustrate in Age of Ultron is kind of her story arc so, uh, yeah so uh Scarlet Witch that is my number nine, I love it. Um, the only major I problem I have with your breakdown is Marvel talking about how much she fits into the bigger picture because I don't know if they know what the big picture is right now in, in some of their movies. It just kind of feels like they're they're stalling until they can get the X Men in, which uh, we'll see. That's going to be coming soon. I I hope so. Apparently, they're not putting them in the Kang Dynasty like the, any of those movies. So we'll see. We'll see. But um. Yeah, it is a little, a little, just a little bit chaotic. I think I know what they're doing. I think I know what they're where they're going, but it is a little chaotic right now. Yeah, I really at this point, I really need to sit down and watch all of this phase right now and just kind of take everything in and really get myself aligned and in the world. I think it would make more sense right now. Oh yeah, absolutely yeah, for sure. Um, my number nine is going to be. Uh, the most i would say the most regular person on this list as far as uh human being wise but he was so essential to this universe and there's definitely uh, a hole with him being gone in uh this particular world uh i'm talking about alfred pennyworth mm. who is the loyal butler and uh almost father figure to batman and the rest of the bat family Man, I there's so much I could say about Alfred, but I think the thing that sums it up the most is he's there to ground Bruce a lot of the time. There would be no grounded Batman and the the kind of cerebral Batman that you see if Alfred weren't constantly bringing him back and uh, it kind of centering him and reminding him that his whole life can't be just being Batman all the time and adding that family dynamic when he didn't have a family. And he's been so essential in every single piece of uh, 
media they've done for Batman. There is no Batman media where they don't have some form of Alfred included with that. It's like the standard you have to have Aunt May if you're uh, doing Spider-Man. Right. Now, other universes... Other universes, you could get away with not having certain people, right? Like there are sometimes we've we've seen the Batman universe cinematically without Robin for years and years and years now, but there is no way you could do stuff without Alfred. No way. Um, the comic books are carrying on without him because he has passed away in the comic books at this point, which uh, was hard for a bit. But you can't keep him alive forever. I I truly believe that, and. I also think, uh, again, cinematically, the portrayals that he've had, he's had from uh, extremely, extremely talented actors over the years. Uh, you've had Michael Caine. You've had Anthem Zimblast Jr. who voiced him. Uh, you had uh, Jeremy Irons. You had Andy Serkis in this last, uh, yeah, in, in this last Batman movie, and he was, and again, different flavors of him and different. Um, you you have this one as his uh his time in the war and like really focusing on that background of alfred but he's so essential in every batman universe and he's also not afraid to get his hands dirty that's what i am one of my favorite parts about him is he's he's done stuff in the past where he's had to interact in uh situations where which could be life or death and he's not afraid of that at all <laughs> so um I, I think that he's one of the reasons Batman is so lovable and that Batman, the character, would not exist in, in full without him. So my number nine is Alfred Pennyworth. Very good. I knew you have a fondness for Alfred. Uh, underrated. Uh, and I liked your point about keeping Batman grounded. Right. I, 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 I like that point because a lot of like you see it all the time. If If power goes unchecked, it can get. You know, get dangerous, right? A guy like Batman, uh, obviously his morals are in the right, you know, his, his reasoning is in the right place, but also, you know, if he doesn't have that voice of reason to kind of, okay, rein it in, rein it in, buddy. Um, that parent, the parental, uh, you know, boy, you know, that parental just figure, uh, things can get wild. So, yeah. Uh, Definitely, yeah. definitely. I think everybody loves him. Everybody knows about him, but I still feel like Alfred Pennyworth is underappreciated. I feel that same way. I think, um, I think a great example of how much Alfred uh, centers Bruce within his brain comes from uh, the Mask of the Phantasm movie, which I do reference a lot. But there's a great scene at the end of it, uh, acted beautifully between uh, Anthem Zimblast Jr. and uh, the late, great Kevin Conroy, who uh, essentially at the end of this movie, you find out that the villain Batman's been chasing this whole time was uh, an old flame of his, someone he really thought he could make a future with. And this whole movie, he's really trying to save her from becoming that bad guy. And at the end, uh, he's left alone with Alfred kind of cleaning up his wounds and he's saying, I couldn't save her. And and Alfred basically says she didn't want to be saved. Like she's not at this point where she wanted to. And he talks about how uh, Bruce Wayne basically as Batman walks the edge of this pit every night as close as he can without falling into this dark side. 
And he says, you walk back from that every night, and I thank heavens for that. But Ms. Beaumont fell into that pit years ago, and nobody, not even you, could bring her back. And just that, like, that that dialogue is so beautifully written and is so beautifully telling of just how good uh, Alfred is for Bruce. He's the one thing that keeps him from going completely insane a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, I like the way... Uh... Right, it was Circus, uh, Andy Circus, right? The last one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you could definitely see that a lot. It was a lot more apparent um, in the in the recent The Batman, uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman. A lot of debating it back and forth. And it wasn't like the perfect relationship, but um, you could definitely see how much he cared and, and, and trying to keep Bruce in check. So very good. Very good, my friend. Thank you. On to our number eight. Matt, you're number eight. My number eight, this is where I'm going to put my lone DC comic character. I know. I'm sorry, DC audience. Uh, oh. I, this is where I'm going to put the boy wonder, Robin. Uh, Robin has always been my favorite DC character, whether it's his, uh, him, Nightwing. I know it's kind of a, uh, it's it's pretty shared there. I've always had an a, a, a affinity for sidekick characters. And especially, too, when you're young, like Batman's very impressionable, obvious, obviously. But when you see like that Robin is legitimately just a kid. Right. Pretty much just a kid doing superhero stuff. You're intrigued. You're hooked. And you're like, oh, I could do that to me. Like Robin is the is the most from the big the big name DC characters. Robin is the most relatable I feel from a human level. He just, I mean, no superpowers really. Uh, just acrobats, right? He's got the gymnastic thing going for him and just in really, really good shape. But I guess it's what always, you know, Batman's always had too, but Batman's, you know, had his inventions, um, all his various gadgets like shark repellent and stuff. Robin, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> Robin, on the other hand, is that to be a little bit more witty, and I, I, I really, and I always enjoyed when he stepped out of Batman's shadow and go, went to go run the Teen Titans. You know, I thought that was a neat little run there, and uh, and yeah, I actually dressed up as Robin. I'm gonna have to find the picture for you. Uh, second or third grade for Halloween. Loved it. It was right when the Batman and Robin movie came out, and I was so hyped. So hyped, and I was really sad that they did nothing with it. Uh, they did the bare minimum with that version of Robin, but yeah, Robin, my fa- uh, my favorite DC character of all time. Yeah, that's that's the best way to describe it. They did not do a single thing with that Robin that was worth uh, saving or worth telling in any sort of sense. Uh, but you're a hundred percent right. You said something right on the nose with that. That. As a kid, you couldn't be Batman, right? It was so uh, unrealistic to be this adult that was like this millionaire that had all this money. But you could be Robin. Like, Robin was achievable. Robin was the kid. In fact, um, if you go back and look at my grade school pictures, um, a lot of people hear me talk about Batman, Batman, Batman constantly. But my first uh, Halloween costume in kindergarten was Robin. I I went as Robin first. Yeah, that was that was it for kindergarten. So I did, if I'm remembering the order right, I think I did kindergarten was Robin, 
first grade was Batman Beyond because Batman Beyond was huge. Oh, I was yeah. the Red Ranger in second grade. And then in third grade, I think I did a ninja. Uh, but yeah, Robin was uh, absolutely one of the coolest things. And I can, I'm going to delve more into it later because he's on my list as well, just a little closer uh, to my top entries because I'm a giant DC nerd. But I'm, you know what, that makes me really happy that he made yours because I think he's a character that is worth loving for everybody. He he really is. I mean, whatever incarnation of it, uh, of him, I know there's been three, uh, right? There's three different Robins, technically. Five now. Oh, is it five now? Jeez. <clears throat> well, you have Damian Wayne, who's the current one, who's Bruce's biological son. Right. Through Talia Ogul and him. Um, but there's... If if you're going technical, you have um, Dick Grayson, you have Jason Todd, you have Tim Drake, yeah. you have Stephanie Brown, who was the spoiler, but she uh, takes over the Robin role for a very brief period, and then Damien is number five. Yeah, I grew up with Dick Grayson, so that's kind of where I've always leaned. Yes, that's where I've always yeah. leaned myself. So, yeah, I'll I can actually I'll give you some more lore about it in a little bit. Uh, very cool, but. But yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great entry for number eight. Thank you, and buddy. you'll be very happy uh, for my first X-Men entry on this list. Uh, it's Miss Jean Grey as my number eight. Uh, I have to have some very powerful female characters on here, right? I think it's only I think it's only uh, wise to put them on here because there have been so many good ones throughout history. And I was thinking... Is it Wonder Woman? Is it Catwoman? Is it like who's my female like goat as far as uh of as far as like superhero characters or anything really? And it's got to be Jean. Her development throughout the time she was um, first put into the comic books until now is just unbelievable. Yeah. She's evolved from like a regular human being to a goddess in, in the time that we've seen her. Um, between her joining the relationship with Scott, which has always been great, the love triangle between Scott and Logan with everything, the Dark Phoenix saga, which is one of the best comic book storylines ever written, bar none. It's just yeah. one of the best out there. Uh, her inclusion in the X-Men universe, you can't deny Jean Grey. She can go into anybody's mind and do anything she wants. <laughs> to them essentially she can she can okie doke charles xavier which is something ridiculous to think about the most powerful mutant like she is able to fight back through him and um i've just always been fascinated by her character it's amazing to see uh what she means to the x-men universe at this point, she's so essential to their growth and how much, uh, how not even how much, how popular they've become within the mainstream world. She gave people the first like psychic woman, as far as it, speaking it like cinematically, uh, she gave the world like the first like really powerful woman on the screen. Um, it, what Jean Grey has just meant to the universe in general has been re 
really, really, really incredible. And I just think as far as powerful comic book characters and people to rely on and look up to, I think she means more to that universe than a lot of people could bring to the table. So my number eight is the great and powerful Jean Grey. Excellent. I got no argument with that one. You didn't make my top 10 real close, but I mean, she was so great and so pure. And then the Phoenix saga, you know, happened and suddenly she became the biggest villain, uh, you know, the biggest villain for the X-Men at the time. So um, tremendous. I have no like no gripes with that. She is an incredible character. Uh, they've brought her to live action as often as they possibly can. So, yes, I am all the way for it. I have no problem with any of the actresses they've used either. They've done a no, done a pretty good job. Easy redhead, attractive. Boom, you got Jean Grey. So, very nice, very nice. Uh, seven, right? Yes, number seven. We're at all right. So, my number seven, this is where I'm going to put uh, one of my OG favorites from back in the day. Uh, and uh, I'm going with the Human Torch, Johnny Storm. Uh, Fantastic Four. So, all right, here we go. My the first comic books that I had ever like a series of comic books that I ever read was the Fantastic Four. I don't know what it. Okay, I do remember what it was. Um, they had done Fantastic Four toys at Burger King for the kids' meals. The one, if you dipped Invisible Woman in water, she would turn colors. She was just, she was just. I remember that. Okay. Um, yeah, so they had that. They had the cartoon, which wasn't nearly as cool as Spider-Man or X-Men, but it was there. They also had a very older cartoon, too, that they used to show late night, late at night, like their boomerang hour or whatever. There's a vintage Fantastic Four one. I just adored. So I asked my uncle. My uncle had uh, the way the comic book situation was uh, my dad and my two uncles had a ton of comic books. My dad kind of grew out of them. He didn't like he just didn't have any space or use for them. So my uncle Rich, he had all the comic books. He amassed all the Fantastic Four ones that he had and let me borrow them. And those are the first comic books that I read. I remember reading like two a night. Had them right by my bedstand, just reading through them, reading through them, reading through them. And it was just, I was just enamored. I loved the family dynamic. But Human Torch was, uh, again, kind of like a Robin where he was the younger one. And obviously he was much older than I was at the time reading him. But I just liked his his personality. I liked that he did crossovers with Spider-Man. Uh, you know what I mean? I I, I just thought it was neat. He, he had a catchphrase. He had a catchphrase, flame on. And he just turned into fire. Uh, I had a Fantastic Four video game for PS1. I think I've talked about it on the show multiple times. And he was just one of my favorites to play as because he had a nice ranged attack where he shot fireballs. And uh, it was just just really, really cool. So love the Human Torch. Love Johnny Storm. You know, he's the, the baby brother always messing with the thing. Is, you know, Sue Storm, Invisible Woman's his older sister. I always thought that was a cool dynamic because you've never seen that in comic books before. So Human Torch is uh, comes in at my number seven. He just, just, just missed my list. He Man. was just, just on, under the cut. I always so 
always loved the Human Torch. I loved his wisecracking. I loved how much he got along with Spider-Man back in the day. Uh, I, there's always something that's been a great appeal about Johnny Storm. He's been such a great character in comic books always. Yeah. He, uh, I, I read one of the, my favorite books was him and Spider-Man versus Venom. I'm like, who thought of this? Like, this is like, this is a, like, I mean, this is kind of a cool, it makes sense, but it's kind of cool. I had, I had several human torch toys growing up, several, my favorite one was it was half like the bottom half of his body and kind of part of his his ribs were the 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 fired up version and the top half was just him normal and there was like little flames like popping out it just I would love to find that toy again oh oh yeah. I know the things we wish we had from back in the day curse my parents and their generosity curse them all <laughs> curse them. Yeah, terrible, terrible human being. Stupid charity. Uh, uh. <laughs> hopefully it's hopefully it's in a good place right now. I'm sure it isn't. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so my number seven is cheating, but I couldn't I couldn't rank these two against each other or one higher than the other because they both balance each other out. Um, these are my other two uh, entries from the X-Men universe. I'm talking about Eric and Charles, uh, and Professor X and Magneto. Mm. They can't, I, I can't put them separately because they both mean the exact same to the world. Their history and their formation of everything with the mutants and the, the groundwork that they started, they're the OGs. They are the, the two OGs as far as the X-Men goes. And they've always been fighting on the same side, but differently, which I have always found that dynamic. So interesting between the two of them, yeah. they're friends and they're not friends on certain issues. They're friends again, and they're not friends on certain issues in the movies when they would play uh, chess together, even after like the, the interactions they had on opposite ends of each other. They always had like this really big respect for each other. And they're not to mention their powers are just so freaking cool. Like, come on, Magneto. The recently I had showed you that storyline where he was literally using the magnetism in his blood to keep it pumping through his body so he could keep his body alive while he literally had no heart at all. Yes, it's, that's yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit crazy that that happened. They're two very um, like OP characters in a good way. Like I don't find them Superman annoying, but I vote like as far as powers and stuff go. But man, if it, you always wonder watching like reading those books, what if those two were actually a team together? Like yeah. what could they accomplish? It's it's yeah. re it's really neat. It really is, and it's uh. It's one of my favorite dynamics that's ever been in comic books ever. And you're right. They're, they are kind of OP, but they're not OP to the point where it's like Superman, where they're not dying all the time and they're not being shown that they're vulnerable. They have plenty of vulnerabilities. They just right. happen to be really powerful humans when it comes to it. Um, and that's why I couldn't separate them. So I know it's cheating, but for my number seven, Eric and Charles are both on there. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. It's your list. I can't tell you otherwise. Um, I, <laughs> you no, could. You could. No, I could not. Uh, you get no arguments from me, my friend. No arguments from me. Uh, 
All right, number six. We are going on to number, number six. six. This is where I'm going to put uh I think my only like full time villain. Yes, he's the only full time villain on this list. Um I'm gonna put Cletus Cassidy, aka Carnage. Very cool. All right. So my early impressions of Carnage, uh, you know, the opposite of Venom. He was I had maximum carnage for Sega Genesis as a kid. And so carnage was the, one of the very first video game villains that I remembered. And I was just so like his artwork was so cool. The way that they, they drew him up. I just, I always just adored the way that they, they drew him up. And I just, you know, just his abilities, right. Venom probably could, if he wanted to turn his body into different weapons, but he legit did the ax thing. And, and the in the in the forks and and like it it's he legit uses symbiote as a weapon and you know when it comes to villains I really admire ones that have like I I do I I admire the the the, the villains that have some bit of morality but Carnage stands out to me because he has none his legit goal is just chaos and murder and death and and all that stuff. Uh, Maximum Carnage is one of my favorite comic book story arcs of all time. Probably my favorite. Uh, and his plan was, he didn't have a plan. Just let's, let's, you know, just turn society on its head. Let's just cause chaos and get other people to join in on the chaos and just bloodshed, bloodshed, uh, this and that. And eventually it became his unknown, his, his own undoing. Uh, I had several Carnage action figures as a kid, several. Uh, and they were just, Oh, they were. I used to have nightmares about Carnage. Legitimate nightmares about Carnage. I had one where he would follow and attack every house that I lived in. Scared the shit out of me. Excuse my language. But I'd be like playing upstairs in my room, and all of a sudden he would jump through. Like that's how afraid of Carnage that I was in real life. And it's always had like this, it's always stuck with me. I just like the symbiotes. I I have one more symbiote on the list. I'm sure everybody can kind of guess it at this point, but um, I'll explain more. But the symbiote concept is 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 I've always been fascinated by it. I've always been fascinated by it. So uh, Carnage comes in at my number six. Tyler's gonna love that you put that there, and he, it's he left a minifig for me. He gifted a minifig for the studio of Carnage. Yeah. Yeah, Carnage. he absolutely he loves all the symbiotes, and uh, I can see why you had nightmares about him as a kid. He is terrifying. Carnage is an absolutely terrifying villain, and he's so unafraid to just kill and slaughter and do whatever that that factor always made him more terrifying because he just he wasn't afraid to go to any level like that. It's the laugh. It's the laugh. And also another thing, too, Carnage has, the symbiote has left Cletus Cassidy and gone on to other characters and completely corrupted them. And it's mm -hmm. been some of the most terrifying shit I've ever seen. Again, excuse my language. Um, there is uh, uh, the Spider-Man PS1 game. Takes over mm -hmm. Doc Ock, becomes Monster Ock, one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Um also, in the comic books, 
Carnage took over the Silver Surfer, became the Cosmic Carnage. Terrifying. Yes, he did. Uh, you the symbiote. You always worry. Like I, I always try to think. Like what would be the most menacing combination? You throw the Carnage symbiote on the Joker, and that is something I would be. That would. How can you stop that? Their insanity just feeds each other. It's crazy. So that that would be horrifying. It would just be like who could out crazy who within yeah. that body. Yeah. Yeah. Um speaking of the Joker, so I uh I had to really do a lot of thinking when it came to comic book characters on this list. And I I kind of wanted to include one one psycho on here in a lot of ways and uh Joker just, he didn't make my list for this one, even though I think so highly and I respect him um, as a villain. And I think that he's essential to the Batman universe. He did not make my favorite uh, comic book characters list because I wanted to, I I found that I like an intriguing intriguing mind when it comes to a lot of things. Um, So... I wanted a psycho, but I wanted a psycho who is also very smart when it comes to a lot of their abilities. So I landed on for my number six, uh, Mr. Norman Osborn, a.k.a. the Green Goblin, the OG, because there is no person uh, who's kept their psycho personality under wraps so well in that universe for a bit like when he first came out he's running this multi-million dollar company while moonlighting is this villain on the side that nobody knows about and that only peter really knows the full extent of how he is and then uh him killing gwen stacy one of the most brutal acts in all of um comic book history You've got that. You've got him coming back from the dead during the Ben Greilly saga and the end of uh, the Clone Wars to him uh, reowning Oscorp, forming the Dark Avengers, uh, everything now where Peter's working for him within the comic books. That man is like in plain sight a psycho. And it's all from, you know, the serum and everything like that, the formula that they did essentially. Uh, But he's still to the point where he can't be trusted, even though he's supposedly turned a new leaf. I'm waiting for him to snap again. And as a kid too, man, when he broke into Aunt May's in that first movie, oh, man. And, and she's in the hospital and she goes, oh, those eyes, those horrible yellow eyes. That was one of those things that like stuck with me where I was like, whoo. Like Norman Osborne is going to break into my house at night, like one of these days. Cause he just, it's such a, you don't expect that to come in that scene. When you're seeing that movie for the first time, she's praying, she's saying her nightly prayers and he bombs her house and makes her finish the prayer. Like that's, that's some crazy shit. Even uh, the newest, the no way home where uh, Tom Holland is on uh, Willem Dafoe's shoulders punching him in the face over He's and over smiling. again. Smiling. It was smiling bigger and bigger and bigger every time. Uh, the, the the switch into the that's that's the other thing too. The psycho's got to be it got to be able to like have a soft spot with me too. Like you got to find some way to get my heart. And when he uh, 
when he switches back into the voice at that one point, he goes, Norman is on sabbatical, honey. And does that, like, those little things that, it's the same way Heath Ledger's driving the truck in the dark night. He's going, I like this job. I like it. you got to have those little moments within your psychopaths to to make them, like, make you laugh. And, like, that's the reason you fall in love with them. And I just think Norman Osborn is written so damn well. I just think he's always been written so interestingly to the point too. this is the other thing with him that you don't have with the Joker or you don't have with uh, Cletus Casty or anything like else. You have the Harry Osborne relationship, too, yeah. where Peter's fighting uh, Norman the whole time, but he's still best friends with Harry, which leads Harry to avenge his dad. So not only do you have like the relationship severed everywhere, it spills so much into Peter's personal life. It's it's unreal, too. Um, and I so I just had to put Norman on this list. I think he really, really deserves a spot. And I think everything they've done with him, both in comic books and the media and everything like that has been unbelievable. So my number six and my psychopath entry for this list is Mr. Norman Osborn. That's really good. That's really good. I, I've grown to appreciate Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, quite a bit. I, I I was just infatuated with the symbiotes when I was younger. So when like the Green Goblin episode would turn would show up, I'd be like, eh, eh, you know, I, it'd be like, all right, where's the where's the good stuff? But he's always been that good. As I've gotten older, I've, I've appreciated those psychological kind of thrillers, uh, thrillers and killers, I guess, psychological villains. Uh, so to speak, and, and and yeah, right. He's he's one way to the the whole to the public. Uh, the new Spider-Man PS4 game. I think he was mayor of New York City. Yes. Uh, but everybody kind of knew he, there was something a little off about him. So, um, which I did enjoy. So, and, and I his No Way Home, is him and No Way Home was. I thought. I mean. They're, He's done so much, so much good as Green Goblin, but I thought it was just uh, the psycho level just got turned up a notch because you sympathized. You want, you're like, oh man, he's going to be a good guy now. Like, this is great. And then he just flipped the switch, kills Aunt May, screws up everything. Oh, it's so good. So good. So I yeah, love it. He, that, that was the best version of him they've done so far. But uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. All right, on to our top five of our comic book characters list. Matt, lead us off with your number five. All right, my number five, I have a little tough time with picking between one or the other. I am going to put, and I'm only doing this because I didn't know about him until I seen the movie, and then I went back and started reading his books. Uh, I'm going to put Star-Lord here. All right, I'm going to put Star-Lord here. Uh I really had minimal idea of who the hell Star Lord was. I knew of the Guardians of the Galaxy, the original Guardians of the Galaxy, because those are books that my dad and uncles had with Yondu, and a lot of a lot of the ones that we've seen in uh, in in the second Guardians movie. But I just like it was so cool for me to see this goofball character, you know, no one to turn it on and off, and they couldn't have like they couldn't have picked a better actor for it. In my opinion, I love Chris Pratt. I really do. I know there's like a love hate thing with him right now. I have always loved Chris Pratt. I thought he he gave life to the Star Lord character. I honestly don't think that a majority of people care 
about Peter Quill uh, unless Chris Pratt pulls off that role. And you could say that it's a bandwagon thing or or, or whatever. I Sure, I bandwagoned onto him. His And the thing is, too, he, he, he changed the way that the, I feel like the character was just done. Like, I feel like they gave him more of a comedy spin post-Guardians movie. He always had, like, a funny banter to him, but maybe it's just perception. I, I always feel like he, he defined the Star-Lord character. Chris Pratt's portrayal did. That's just me, though. That's just me. Um, yeah, easily one of my favorite characters. Uh, I used to have a, a one of those cardboard cutout stands of him. I've always tried to emanate it. I have a Guardian uh, Star-Lord t-shirt somewhere, um, the one that he wore in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I'm really sad about when three comes out. I'm excited, but sad. I I hope it's not the last of him, but it probably and it probably is. But um, yeah, Star Lord comes in at number five. Yeah, it's going to be really hard to see him go and uh, leave behind that character because I think you're right. I think less people care about uh, Star Lord if Chris Pratt isn't playing him, and I think less people care about the guardians in general if that cast and the way they set that up so brilliantly uh with how they introduce them to that universe and i think you're not alone in the sense that i think a lot of people went back and read all the guardian stuff and all the star lord stuff after those because there was such a big interest after seeing him do it yeah no i mean no doubt you like he he repo- he helps repopularize the the uh the, the Sony Walkman, right? Mm-hmm. Those are things were going. Those things they were just junk, and then Chris Pratt killed it as Star Lord, and those things were going for five hundred plus on eBay. I seen some go as high as fifteen hundred. So, yeah, I love it. Excellent. Uh that's a that's a great entry for your number five. Thank you, Bob. Um, my number five is going to be my last villain entry on this list. Uh, I had to, I did have to go with uh, a Batman villain at some point within here. And for this, for the purpose of this list, as far as comic book villains, I'm going with the great Ra's al Ghul for um, this list. I absolutely love, love, love this character. And um, I, I've always had an intrigue at the way they've written them together because there's such a mutual respect for both of them. And I feel like the only time Roz ever goes after Batman is if uh, Batman is directly interfering with something he's doing. And other than that, he really doesn't have like a disdain for him or everything or anything like that. They have a very mutual respect for each other throughout everything. And that differs, you know, from uh, villains such as the Joker, the Riddler, who um, a lot of people deem as, uh, you know, the main villains or his his big. They, uh, Batman will always, you know, loathe them and despise them for the things that he's done. Ross, I feel like there's a very different like the teacher student thing has always been a big factor within their relationship to have your teacher out there but he's one of the biggest terrorists in the entire world and when you try and stop him he's like stop doing that don't go there don't do this thing right now it it speaks to um 
how interesting their relationship is too to go with that not to mention uh, Talia al Ghul who's um, Raz's daughter who ends up being the mother of uh, Batman's child um, through I believe some kind of cloning process I believe they did something like that uh, if I remember correctly, Ben's probably listening to this, telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> but uh, I, I've loved what they've done with him. I thought what they did with him in the animated series and the episodes that he had was really cool. Um, in the animated series, uh, Roz is introduced at the end of an episode of Talia, and then he comes in for a two-part episode where he says that. Talia and Robin were kidnapped together, but he takes Batman all over the world for to try and track down the kidnapper. And it turns out that it was Roz the whole time. Mm. Uh, but he was just doing it to test him and see if he was going to be a worthy heir to the League of Shadows um, or the League of whatever they call it within that League of Assassins might be um, the word that they use within that series. Yeah, okay. I think it, I think it was League of Shadows. Um, but it's it's a very interesting dynamic between the two of them. And like I said, I like the more psychological and um, really cerebral villains and characters when it comes to this list. So that's why he made my number five. And um, may I also throw on there that I thought Liam Neeson did an excellent job when he played the, him in the live action movie. I thought that was a great, great casting choice. Um, so, yes, Ra's al Ghul is my number five. Very good. Yeah, you, you really can't go wrong with Liam Neeson. Um Dude is tremendous. Dude is absolutely tremendous actor. Um, great voice. I I don't know what it is. He's got a very. I love his voice. Um, I actually forgot about Raz Al Ghul until that movie came out, and I was like, "Whoa, this is deep. This is really good acting." And I hope I I had hoped at that time that the rest of the trilogy would kind of be like like that psychological bit, and it, it ended up being so. Very good. Very good. I know you have a big affinity for Ra's al Ghul. I think he was up there uh, for our Batman villains list that we did in honor of Kevin Conroy. I think he was up towards your top. So, um, excellent. Excellent. All right. My number four, I am going with the other Maximoff twin. I'm going with Pietro Maximoff Quicksilver. I really, I don't know what it was. I just like, I like super speed. I think it's like one of the coolest things. Um, I mean, how cool would it be to be super fast, right? We talked about superpowers before. Uh, and I was like the little bit of blue. Uh, I read about him in the comic books quite a bit. You know, I always, again, the relationship dynamic. I always thought, you know, this being a sibling and then being Magneto's children, which added, just added so much to the lore. Um, I have always liked his fiery temper too. I've always really enjoyed his fiery temper. It's it's been for better, you know, for better or for worse. You know, same story as Scarlet Witch. Start off as a villain, turn a turn a new leaf. X Man, Avenger, uh, a bunch of other different, uh, you know, leagues and uh, and I really enjoyed him. I, I was really upset that they. They killed him off, but I loved Aaron Taylor Johnson's portrayal. Yeah. I thought it was really, that to me was the best one. I did not care for uh, the other one. Um, Oh, God. Evan Peters. 
yeah, I didn't care for. I thought it was too goofy. It just it didn't sit. Aaron Taylor Johnson's like it just it. I felt like it. I was reading the or watching the comic book version in live action. Yeah, after the like second or third time of them doing the music sequences to him running, I was like, okay, that's kind of enough of this. Yeah, yeah. The first one was funny, and the second one, I'm like, ah, yeah. This is what we're gonna do every time. And then even still, like they they they'd feature him in like a major part of the movie. He's just he's just too goofy. He just it didn't it didn't work for me. So. And, and I didn't like, like, some of the choices they made. Like, there were points where he was definitely, like, walking into it. And, like, it, it, it just it was kind of weird to me. I was always like, he's not stopping time. Like, he's, right. like, things still got to be moving around. Like, he's not just standing in one spot taking all of this in. Like, he's got to be moving in order for this to work. Um, yeah, I, I wish they would have kept... Um, the OG portrayal in there because I thought they did some great stuff with him, but you know he's not faster than a speeding bullet apparently. I no. In all fairness, it was multiple speeding bullets, but I digress. <laughs> it was multiple. Yeah, you can't fault him much for that one. Yeah, Quicksilver's always been um, very interesting. I love that dynamic of. Uh, Wanda and Magneto and everything like that. The the trio of them has always been so cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's it's been it's 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 fun. I have a Funko Pop. I try to dress up as him for Halloween one year. I got the Age of Ultron shirt. Apparently, they had a costume ready to go for him if if they were going to keep him around, and they never released it. I was like, damn! I just want to see it. I want to see it. I the blue costumes just just get me and. uh Wanted to see Quicksilver's kind of in a modernized, modernized version of it. So, yeah, I agree. Um, my number four, I'm sure you're going to have it on your list at some point. So I'll leave some of the talking to you for it. But uh, my number four is going to be Spider-Man on this list. Um, I, I really don't have to justify it too, too much. Peter Parker is one of the greatest uh, characters ever written, I feel like. You see him as a 15, 16-year-old to start, and we've grown up with him his entire life as he's learned how to deal with Spider-Man, how to overcome um, relationship issues, family issues, life issues, while still fighting the most powerful villains on Earth. Um becoming an Avenger with them, uh, fighting battles um, like for New York, uh, for the entire universe, uh, you know, pairing with everybody in the Marvel universe, every who's who he's had some kind of storyline with them in the past. Um, he's the essential character to the uh, to the Marvel universe. He's the one of the best superhero characters just ever. Um, translating to media, to movies, to everything he just brings something to the table that no other superhero could bring and the quips too like you look for like the sarcastic kind of uh gonna talk, talk shit to you while i'm hitting you kind of superhero yes. um but you also want him the vulnerable moments with him have been really 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 vulnerable and so sad 
So the Judgment Day storyline um, that I had you start reading, which I, I need to get back on that with you so that we could talk yes. about it together. Um, but there's a great issue uh, that I'll kind of spoil uh, a little bit on this, uh, where he is being judged. The whole Judgment Day arc, there's um, one of the Celestials is judging the Earth and um, humanity is going to be judged as a unit. He's literally judging every single person on the planet. And when it comes time for Peter, um, you when you see the judgment, you see it as someone in your life that meant a lot to you or things like that. And someone's on the phone with him at the beginning of this particular issue, and they're telling him these things. And he goes, so is it somebody that like could possibly be dead from your past that you could see too? And uh, they go, they go, yeah, why do you ask? And he goes, oh, no reason at all. And he looks up and he's staring at Gwen Stacy. Oh. Gwen Stacy's the one who's judging his attorney for the rest of his life. So, um, but it's it's the celestial in her form. He's still seeing her. That's... Um, he, right. So he's he's going out throughout his day to day and like you know still doing his Peter things where he's doing charity and um and all sorts of stuff um for people and really helping the city of New York. And then he goes to work and he's working for Norman Osborne and she sees that and he's like, he's like, wait, wait, like you don't understand. Like I'm at this different point in my life. He's changed. I wouldn't have done this had I not believed in him and like all this. And at the end of the issue, um, they say something where he's like, you've been judged. Uh, uh, you have been judged and, uh, we're going to give you another chance. And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? Do you mean I passed? And I was like, oh, you, you absolutely passed with flying colors, but you're so good that we wanted you to, to get one more chance to see her again. And they give him five minutes with Gwen. Like wow. that's how good that he was. That's how good of a soul Peter Parker has and how unshakable of a person that he is, that he was judged so good that they said not only that, but we're going to let you see Gwen for one last time again, that's which true. I thought was one of the most beautiful. It was it was a beautifully written issue. And that's I got to make sure I push you through that storyline so that you could at least get to that moment because it's it's really, really gorgeously done. Um, but you can't you can't write a character better than that. So that was a long way to go for that character. But Spider-Man comes in as my number four. Well, he's my number three. So I think it worked out pretty good. Um perfect yeah no it, it did i agree that like just as far as written goes he's had probably one of the most relatable marvel characters ever right i think a lot of people that have read the comic books have been picked on and felt like there was you know something more for them out there uh it, and that's what peter parker's upbringing was and Listen, I grew to love photography, you know, partial influence from my from my mom. But a lot of it was because I grew up watching Peter Parker make a living off of shooting photographs uh, for the Daily Bugle. I, you know, it, I I really, really do love the Spider-Man, you know, character. When you gifted me that book uh, for my birth, uh, excuse me, for Christmas, I, as you, you got me, you like you got me. That's how much I really do love Spider-Man. Like. Honestly, my top three is probably like a one A, one B, one C. But um, dude, I dressed up as Spider-Man for Halloween. It got picked on for it. I was in the fifth grade, and everybody like all these kids were making fun of me, and I just like I'm like, I don't care. I'm Spider-Man. 
Like, I love this. Like, leave me alone. I been to, you know, seen all the movies. Yeah, it is from like my like opening weekend as soon as I possibly could. All as many of the video games as I've I've wanted. I've always like I go to cities. Okay, when I go to a new city, I judge it by how much fun I would have if I was Spider Man. I love that you do that. How many buildings could I swing on? Oh, there's a lot. It's an A. All right. I had dreams that I was Spider-Man in Niagara Falls. Not very fun. Not a great city to be Spider-Man in. It was like two. <laughs> there was like two tall buildings. Uh, it's just it, it would just not be very fun. But um, just just be running from crime to crime. It wouldn't be great. I know. <laughs> I get I get to hop on buildings. Ooh, big whoop. Uh, yeah. Really getting your steps in in the falls too. I, <laughs> right. It'd be so disappointing. So. Yeah, I I do love I do love Peter Parker. Do love Spider Man. Um, I've loved all the different incarnations of it. Uh, Spider Verse, Miles Morales, Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, uh, all that stuff. I've really really enjoyed. Um, Spider Man's a great character in my book, and the most pure. Uh, this most recent live action iteration of him with with Tom Holland, uh, was was perfect you know toby was great toby mcguire was great andrew garfield was andrew Gar- garfield looked like him like the like the one i had been presented with through comics and and certain things but holland just fit that young boyish uh teenage angst vibe that i wanted my spider-man to have uh you know that up-and-coming it kind of vibe and just trying to fit in and he he did it so so well and i don't know i i i look forward to more movies with 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 holland as as in the lead role Mm -hmm. so um so yeah so there's my number three spider-man i love that we had them so close to each other it was a great conversation to have about him and i knew you were going to have him high on this list so i kind of figured he was coming as soon as that is oh of course dude man so many toys just i i really do i i wish there was a vr game i wish there was a vr game for it but uh i think there might be you got to do some fancy schmancy stuff but yeah spider-man's literally uh just all-time great he is he's one of the best ever um my number three this was very it's interchangeable between this character and spider-man quite honestly um but i don't know there's there i've always had a fascination with this character um to a great extent even before the depth that we've gotten in the past 10 years or so um i think it's only right uh with his roots that I use his biblical biblical name for the introduction. So my number three is Mr. Matthew Murdoch, AKA the devil of hell's kitchen. Mm -hmm. I, I have always, 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 always loved daredevil. And I don't know if it's because of how big of a Batman fan I am. And he kind of has like a similar, you know, the kind of dark and broody type almost a little bit, but when I started getting into the comic books and things like he is such a great character. 
he is so well written. The Frank Miller stuff that has been done with him is some of the best comic book media that's ever been out. And it's essential comic book reading. Um, he's just a fantastic character between the dynamic he has with uh, Electra and always having to like balance that relationship out to his relationship with Stick, to his relationship with the church. Um, everything that he does, walking that fine line, that's another character who walks the fine line of uh, where do I stand with my morality versus what do I need to do in order to get this situation done? Um, season three of Daredevil um, that Netflix did does a great job of fleshing out that thought process with him um, deciding whether he needs to kill Kingpin or not through that whole season. Um, th then you you have Kingpin, who's a, a great villain for him. Uh, a, a vendetta avenging his father for his that whole, whole storyline. Um, and to this day, that's a grudge that uh, he will, you know, he'll always hold on to, which I think you need something that deep for um, a comic book character. Not to mention, too, if I didn't love him enough, when Charlie Cox took over the role, I think that not only was it the perfect casting choice, I think so many people fell more in love with Daredevil because he played it so picture perfectly to every single note where if you would have gotten anybody else, it's the same thing I said with Johnny Berndahl, if you if you would have gotten anybody else to to take it over um, in the upcoming like Disney uh, reincarnations of it, it would have been a crime. It would have been an actual crime to take that role away from him. Uh -huh. I think he was absolutely made to play Daredevil. He was made to play Matt Murdock. There was nobody else that should be taking that on right now. Affleck was good, right? Affleck did a decent job when they did the movie, but the but this is a much better version of him and a much darker version. And he's He's taken his time to find the right rhythms and the right strokes to um, paint the picture with um, with him. And honestly, like everybody was so excited about, you know, Toby and Andrew coming back in No Way Home. Charlie Cox was my mark out moment when yeah. he when he showed up as Matthew Murdoch. That was like for me, I was like, thank God they are keeping him. Thank God they are keeping that man as this character. Um, and he was but great in She-Hulk. He was great in She-Hulk too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, nice to see the yellow and red, uh, the yellow and red suit. Um, that was mm -hmm. pretty neat. He really is a a, a very underrated character. Uh, I've always liked yeah. that he's stayed street level. I think that's always like he's yes. been primarily street. Like Spider Man started off street level, but he would go to some bigger stuff. He'd face a cosmic villain like a Venom or something like that. But Daredevil pretty much stayed to the streets and I've always liked that they've kept him mo pretty grounded um, and and just just well done just well done do you remember the I I shouldn't even say ask if you remember them because I know you do um, do you remember the two really excellent episodes of the Spider-Man animated series they did with him and Daredevil I where do. Daredevil's representing him because he was framed by Kingpin 
And they have those great sequences explaining both Kingpin and Daredevil's backstory. It's that's like, I think that's one of the reasons I fell in love with him first was those episodes as a kid, you saw him and you were like, this guy's so cool. And by the way, hands down favorite Marvel team up of all time is Spider-Man and Daredevil. Yeah. They've had quite a, they've had quite a few over the years. I, when he showed up in Spider-Man, it was really like nice and full circle and, uh, and stuff like that. But that Netflix show changed the game and the Netflix show, it changed the game. Um, and I remember I was in Disney World. It was our last day before we headed home from Disney World. And I started, just picked up the show and started watching it for how gruesome it was. Gruesome and just, just gritty. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is this is the excellent. Marvel's. It was excellent. It was great. To, I can rewatch those shows and, and, and still catch something new. Just be invested. I love them. So kudos to Daredevil. Kudos to Daredevil. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Top two. Matt, you're number two. All right. My number two, as I said, is pretty much my 1B. This is where I'm going to put uh, Big Brother Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops, as my number two. Uh, I grew up in the Jim Lee Cyclops and X-Men era. That art style was great. A lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. I loved the the blue with the yellow. Um it it popped. It was a really really nice, co- you know, good combination. For me, a lot of the times, it, it is the coloring when it comes to, uh, you know, the coloring, the art style, the the costumes that'll entice me to a really, you know, to a character. Cyclops is like like that, but I think a part of the reason why I like Cyclops so much is that a lot of people don't like him. <laughs> a lot of people think he's like this douchebag, and maybe he is. But he's like that serious, like he's the guy who takes his job seriously. He's that guy at like a retail job that is works way too hard for for bad pay. But he's like, he's like, I gotta press on because I just that's it's not my character to give to give anything less than a hundred percent. He's that guy. Uh, you know, I the animated series I remember watching him in in and Wolverine butt heads like Wolverine legit punched him in the stomach because Morph got captured and like the first or second episode. Uh, but I just, I, I just, I mean, it was just always so neat, right? This dude, he touches a button on the side of his helmet or his visor, and just shoots eye be- like laser beams out. It was cool. It was always cool. Uh, I, it was one of the first toys that I remember. It was one of the very first toys I remember. My dad, um, I don't know if it was bought for me. My dad had a, kept a lot of his superhero toys from when he was younger, super, superhero Star Wars. But he had a, a Marvel Secret Wars Cyclops. It had the it was the X-Force style where it had the white cross in front. He still had the hood over his head with the cowl. Um, but you you'd push a lever down in his back and the eyes would light up. And I've oh, I don't know, like that stuff just always stuck with me hated how they treated him in the original X-Men movies. Hated it. Right in the first, I thought he was fun in the first one, but uh, I didn't hate the the the, the younger one. Oh, uh, God, what's his name? I can't remember. But the one they had in Apocalypse and, and uh, Jesus, the last one they did, Dark Phoenix. 
I thought the dude played a pretty good Cyclops. I, I really did. Um, I just wish we would have got to see a lot more. Hopefully, the MCU does him justice. So, oh, I can't hear. Lost your audio again, buddy. Uh oh. No, listeners, this has been a frequent problem. We're not sure what's going on. There we go. Am I back? Yeah, we're back. Okay. I think it's, I think because of my long freaking hair, it doesn't detect when the AirPods are in my ears because it keeps getting caught in my ears. So I think that's what it, they, they keep falling out too. So it's one of those, one of those multitudes of things that are happening. Um, but I didn't like how they treated it. They, they treated him right in the first movie for sure. And then the second, he was kind of a wimp a little bit. And then the third, he was non-existent. So we didn't get great flavors of the original Scott Summers and uh, those movies well. But uh, yeah, they, they deserve to do him some justice in these next couple ones that come up. Yeah, I hope so. I know it's going to be a couple years. I hope the MCU is still liked enough where they pursue it. Uh, but yeah, it's it. I, I need it. I need it. Yeah, I agree. Um my number two entry for this list, this is where I am going to put um, Robin slash Nightwing. So I'll call it uh, Dick Grayson for this entry specifically as the person. We talked about this a little bit earlier with the animated series. We couldn't be Batman, right? We were young. We were probably, if I was five years old, you were probably seven. So we're, there's no way that that is achievable. However, we could be Robin. Like we could be the word that Bruce Wayne adopts and teaches all these tricks and stuff like that. And this is another instance where I was talking about with Spider-Man, where we've kind of watched him grow up through this. And we've watched Dick Grayson grow up through the years as Robin, um, learning what's right and what's wrong, learning how to incorporate Bruce's message into his superhero work without maybe being as over the top as Bruce's uh, with those things. And like you said, carving his own path as Nightwing. I think one of the coolest things they did um, in transitioning that animated series from the third season to the fourth season where WB owns it and it's a, and it's a little bit different in art style and things like that is transitioning Dick Grayson to Nightwing. And while also keeping Tim Drake not entirely erasing the idea of Jason Todd because they do give Tim Drake a Jason Todd backstory. However, they keep the Tim Drake character and he acts like Tim Drake a lot of the series, Um, which I think that was a really, um, uh, what's a a good word for it? It it was a really good way to kind of split the characters up a little bit and to to honor them within the one. and Nightwing is so, like you said, he leads the Titans. He's found his own ways doing doing things like that. Was with Batman, led the Titans, still leads the Titans and does that. Doesn't want to do the Justice League because he knows where his his place is within that. Even the Dark Crisis storyline last year, there is there are these great panels where um, the the tower had been attacked by um, Deathstroke and. A lot of people ended up getting hurt. Beast Boy got very hurt in the confrontation. And he sits by 
uh, Beast Boy's bed every single day until he recovered because he's blaming himself um, for the fact that they got hit. And then um, when they're about to do this huge like uh, fight at the one point, uh, Black Adam says something to him like, I keep telling you, you're going to fail. You're not the Justice League. You're not the Justice League. And he's like, He's like, yeah, we're not the Justice League. We're the Titans. And I was like, yeah, like that's like that. That's the stuff that he's perfect for is he's he's Batman without like the angst. Like he he found a way to take the anger out of it and just take the leader side and be that leader. Even when like Batman's fighting with like uh, Jason or Tim or whatever, he's always the one that's trying to be like, dude, you know how he is just kind of like take your time, wave it off. He's always another voice of reason for Bruce too, because he was the first one and he understands him better than a lot of people do. Um, but he's also a whole new side. He's, he's the refined version. He's Bruce's like perfect protege. He's the refined version of how to make a better Batman with, he's, let me, let me put it this way. He's the version of Bruce that had the guidance he needed from the beginning. Because Bruce knew what he was going through every step of the way when uh, Dick Grayson lost his parents. Right. So he he had the blueprint already. So he was able to push that and leave Dick with less psychological issues than Bruce has. So he was he was the version of Bruce that Bruce wished he could be. That's the best way I can describe that. I um, and he's a... And he's essential to that universe. Absolutely essential. So my number two is Dick Grayson, whether you want to call him Robin or Nightwing or whatever he is for that universe. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that's, uh, like I said, he was on my top 10 for a reason. I, I didn't expect him to be uh, so high on yours. Uh, I knew he was going to be on your list, but uh, but that does make me happy that we do have that in common. Um, Thank you. And that we dressed up as him for Halloween at one point. Or like, I really got to find that picture. My mom has all of our pictures, so I'm going to find it and send it to you. Um, yeah, I'll find mine too because I'm sure I have a picture of it somewhere. Oh, it's so good. So good. Uh, I, had th- I had that suit for a long time. <laughs> long time. A lot of make believe in that. Probably wore through it. Me too. Me yeah, too. A Great lot of make believe. And then I outgrew it and it was sad. Uh, yeah, same here. <laughs> all right it is all right number one number one let's do it buddy let's do it all right my number one i've already alluded to him he's my favorite character in comic book history and that is edward brock jr aka venom all right venom is I've always loved Venom. I've said this before on lists. I don't know if I've done it. You said it with Dan, but I love the anti-hero. I love the characters that, uh, you know, that can go both ways as far as being a good guy, being a bad guy. I've always enjoyed bad fall, you know, bad guys who've fallen from the good, you know, from being good guys and what made them tick. But anti-heroes, and I guess to, to start off, Venom was a villain, and he can be at times. Um, what made Venom truly a villain? Um, it was a different point of view. It was a different perspective on things. The reason why we all really seen Venom as 
this bad character was because Spider-Man was our hero. And he still is. But he was our hero. And through Spider-Man doing his job, Eddie Brock was this his career and life was ruined. The Sin Eater uh bit and he had been exposed as a fraud, destroyed his career. Mix that with a symbiote that has been rejected by Spider-Man. You got something very, very dangerous um, at the hands. I I always like the early Venom books or the, the those early Venom appearances because they would do his bit with Spider-Man and then show him doing something good, right? Protecting the innocents. That was that was fun. Like, I, I really like that portrayal because you didn't see that with villains. You didn't see Doc Ock help an old lady uh, cross the road, or you didn't see, uh, you know, Magneto. Like, uh, I mean, it depending on the perspective, but you didn't see Magneto treat regular humans well. One of the earlier, like, Venom Spider Man mashups, he's at a truck stop, Eddie Brock is, and, and some thugs or harassing some family and he takes them outside and, and they go, what is your mascara run? And he turns into Venom and beats the shit out of these guys. And I'm like, that's good storytelling because that shows that there's something more. He's not just a villain. Sure. He has a, a an alien creature attached to him, um, but he can control it in a sense. We're use it for a good. I've also always loved Venom's artwork. Uh, that 90s stuff. Some of it's gotten really goofy, but a lot of that mid, that early to mid 90s stuff was really, really well done. Some of my favorite stylings. Uh, hated, hated. Uh, oh God, I forgot his name. Topher. Yeah, Topher. Did not like that Venom portrayal. I liked the look, but I hated the portrayal. Um, Tom Hardy, I thought, played a good one. I still think we have yet to see the best version of Venom and Eddie Brock. I, I hope we that it, it does eventually happen. Um, but Venom's great. I always thought, even as a superpower, how cool would it be to just turn it on and off just like that? Oh, I got this this suit that can, this alien creature that we're, we're working together and can turn into anything I've ever wanted. So uh, as far as like a, like an attire, oh, I want a nice dress suit. Okay, Venom just transformed. Mm-hmm. What's that? I gotta just eat excessively? Oh no. For shame. So <laughs> what's that? I gotta eat more chocolate to keep you happy? Oh no. Uh Venom okay. is I know, right? How sad. Venom is the greatest, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh again, I, I mean I've I've stressed it enough. I I have countless pieces of art with Venom on it. I have a nice little PVC statue over here that Tyler's trying to steal from me. Just kidding. He's, he's, he's asked (laughs) me to have it multiple times. No, he's asked me to have it in all seriousness, but um, yeah, great character. So Venom is my number one. Excellent. And I kind of saw that coming. I know how much you love Venom within that. And it makes sense with your love of Spider-Man too, that Venom would be up there because he's one of the best things that's ever come out of that universe. He really is. He got more popular, if not as popular as Spider-Man at one point. Like he, he legit, he helped shape Spider-Man stories into the nineties. Cause the whole symbiote thing, plan of the symbiotes deal with carnage. Uh, 
and, and even his own spinoff series, Lethal Protector, Separation Anxiety, and a whole host of other ones. Uh, just recently, within the last couple of years, they added uh, the King of the Symbiotes, I think, uh, came into the light where Venom, or Venom first host was, was a really good comic run. So yeah, it's, it, he's, that I, I guess you can, in a, in again, pun intended, but Spider-Man and Venom, they have like this symbiotic partnership where they both elevate each other in the comics. You're yeah. always paying attention when they cross over. Always, always. Um, excellent. I love that as your number one choice. Thank you. my friend. Um, my number one is going to be a surprise to no one, but I had to stick true to who I am, right? So my number one choice is uh, the Batman for uh, my entry, and Bruce Wayne's Batman specifically, because we can talk about the John Paul Valley Batman and Dick Grayson Batman and everything like that. Um, like I said, I like a lot of psychologically deep characters and uh, very complicated characters, and there's I, I could have got a lot of options when I talked about uh, these characters. And I was really thinking, I was like, oh, do I want to do this? Do I want to? But there's no way I can avoid it. There's always been something so uh, fascinating to me about the Batman character from the, you know, the murder of his parents to going and learning everything he possibly can um, in order to become the best detective on the earth, like as far as um, learning crime scenes, learning, uh, you know, learning martial arts, learning the, the most advanced uh, fight tactics, uh, uh, learning tactics planning, um, going out and just observing on the streets before even stepping in to stop crimes. Like the the attention to detail that he's had. Um, throughout everything is is just fascinating having blueprints for everybody on the justice league and being yeah. able to take them out um the love the love he shows um for you know tim drake and dick grayson and all the the uh the people he's taken under his wing even if it's not in the most traditional ways there's there's a reason that batman has been so interesting through like six incarnations of him in uh in cinematic universes we've had like eight different actors play him and there's such an interest for it every time and it's because you want to see what they do differently with him this time is it going to be like campy more fun batman that's going to be wisecracking like in the like in the animated series even though he's still dark is it going to be 60s batman where there's there's no room for darkness within that and you have your bat shark repellent like we we're talking about before <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna have pattinson where you get a straight up detective comic style batman that's gonna be real dark and a real mystery and a real kind of um seven feeling type of movie there's so many he's so complicated and and so unique that you could do so many different things with him and so many people have done so many different things with him um the deep the deep dive comes when you're really going through the comic book material and you're seeing how loss affects him and how individual relationships affect him and everything like that because then you get to really see what batman is i could really do like I do a whole podcast on Batman, basically, but I, I, um, 
I can go hours and hours into that. There's a great book called The Psychology of Batman too that kind of um, gets into um, a lot of different things that have to do with his character and the way he thinks about things and breaks them down. But his attention to detail and his specificity and just the situations he's been put in over the years where he's been broken or, you know, uh, in helpless situations, it's it's all so fascinating to me. So I really had to stay true to who I am for this one. And the Batman is my number one as far as my comic book characters on this list. I love it, dude. I love it. Yeah, uh, thank you. I mean, I, these probably like him, Superman, Spider Man, probably some of the most well known. You can ask anybody on the street, you know, who those characters are, and I think everybody knows Batman. Uh, you look at box office movies; he's been one of the like a lot of the Batman films properties have done very very well at the box office, earned a lot of money. I dating back. I mean, Adam West dating all the way back to Adam West Keaton. Uh, you know, even this, the, uh, Oh God. Oh, I don't want to say Kilmer, but Christian Bale, Batman movies. Some of those are regarded as some of the best, uh, Pattinson's is, is being regarded really, really highly. They've yeah. figured out how to keep retooling Batman to be better and better as the, as the years progress as times change. And that's what I've always admired. Um, you hit the nail right on the head about the different variation, the different portrayals of Batman. That I mean, that goes a long way towards a character. A lot of characters, it's difficult to kind of get them out of what they've done or what, what their origin is. Uh, yeah. Batman has gotten darker over the years. He's much different than the happy brooding, you know, happy, you know, happy go, not like happy go lucky, but, you know, the Adam West Batman. You put him next to Chris, uh, Christian Bale or Robert Pattinson's version, night and day difference. Absolutely. Difference. So, very yeah. good, my dude. But that is it for our list this week. This was a fun episode. It was a technically complicated one, for sure, this time <laughs> around. But, you know, never would do this with anybody else. And you've got a great topic for next week, which I'm so excited for. I do. Um, yeah, first and foremost, great job on this one, Dano. Um, next week, uh, you know, we just did the re- the reflective, the moments with friends, memories with friends one that Dan picked a couple weeks ago. I I, I loved it. It was one of my favorite listens um, that we've ever uh, that I've ever listened back to, and I've gotten so quite a bit of compliments. Actually, somebody sent me uh, actually a listener of a show, uh, good friend Alex, who I uh, co-host crafting and drafting with. Uh, we're going to have to get him on the show one time. He loves listening to the show. He sent me a song that the episode made him, uh, that the episode reminded him of. It was about growing up and, and mm. relationships. But next week, uh, we are going to do our top 10 teachers. All right, not just school teachers. Uh, basically, anybody who has helped guide us in, in life uh, and to become who and what we are today. Uh they come in many shapes and forms. They can come from aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, siblings, friends, uh, parents, uh, uh, friends, parents, even people that we haven't met uh, can be considered teachers in some way, shape, or form. So that's what me and Dan are going to talk about next week. I can't wait to do it. Uh, I, I I really do like the personal reflective ones. Um, 
but yeah, that's what we got. So, yeah, I'm excited for that one too. I love the reflective ones that we end up doing and it really gets into the nitty gritty of our personalities too. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, thank you all for tuning in as always. This has been uh, our comic book uh, characters list for the week. And on behalf of Matt and myself, do you even list? <laughs>